This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Katie Balls and Joan Forsyth. So Boris Johnson's back from his eight-day tour of the world. Katie, what situation does he come back to? Because I think the Privileges Committee have started uh, investigating now. So I think if we take a step back, he comes back to many domestic woes. And we've had a period where the Prime Minister's been out of the country for a very long time for a Prime Minister to be out. And in that we've seen, I think, Boris Johnson quite comfortable on the world stage. I think it's clearly a bit of a break and relief probably from dealing with his quite angry Tory MPs and lots of the issues back here in terms of cost of living and actually talking about Ukraine and the values that he thinks you know democracy should be putting forward I think it's something where you you can just see that it's helping him get a little bit of his mojo back however I think that as soon as he gets back here you get to the point where he is facing two pretty bad by-election defeats one very bad in Tiverton and Honiton and it gets to the point of can can he find a way to draw a line under that and move forward or not because we've seen in all these various interviews we've had to do abroad constant questions about well you know what's your position he's tried to bounce them off in lots of different ways from you know third term to you know people aren't interested in this but I think that talk will just continue on return and then of course you have the privileges committee and we touched on this on yesterday's podcast um the fact that it's now harriet Harmon who's the chair of this and also that people who give evidence um anonymously to the committee so so they would know the sourcing but they wouldn't have to be public in doing it and now I think it's been quite interesting seeing some of the kickbacks so you've got reports in the telegraph suggesting this could be a bit of a kangaroo court I think questions over you know is it deliberately misled? What, what is the charge they're going for? And I think it's quite tricky territory in the sense that you can see there are some around Boris Johnson, I think, who want to paint this as it being a potentially unfair process. But there are others, I think, who, who think that that potentially makes it worse and could make his problems greater when it comes to the committee actually meeting. James, on those comments about the Privileges Committee being kangaroo court, all this sort of stuff, is this Tories getting out of the blocks quite quickly and just trying to discredit the committee um, before they find anything? I don't. If that is the plan, I don't think it works because it, 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 it's one of the things I think we can say with relative confidence is that if they try to overturn the whatever verdict the Privileges Committee comes to on the floor of the House, I would be surprised if the government had the votes to do that. One of the reasons this Privileges Committee investigation is happening is that Tory MPs weren't prepared to vote even to wait until after the Grey Report and the Metropolitan Police Inquiry had finished to decide whether or not the Privileges Committee would, would look at it. And I thought it was quite striking. I mean, first thing to say is that these quotes are all anonymous. These are not, like, you know, on-the-record quotes. And it was also quite striking that Liz Truss, um, Cabinet Minister, who, who uh, yes, she has her own ambitions, but she's also been loyal to Boris Johnson, kind of went out of her way to say that she implicitly trusts the Privileges Committee. I don't, I don't think there is any mileage. I mean, it strikes me as no more sensible than when the government tried to duff up Sue Gray two days before the report. Okay, sorry. But they still tried. It strikes me as no more sensible than when various people describing themselves as allies of Boris Johnson decided to try and duff up uh, Sue Gray just days before her report was issued. It, it's not going to, to it's not going to work, and it makes things worse actually. Because I think one of the things you don't one of the things is yes, there is a Tory majority on this committee, even though there's a Labour chair. What you don't want to do is put these, uh, 
you have to realize that when MPs feel that they are taking on these kind of quasi judicial roles, they they take that very seriously indeed. <laughs> and uh, and you know, and so we should. I'm not mocking that. But the point is, you if you try and put them into a position where there's a conflict between their kind of party loyalty and that. I, I think they will. This is one of those rare instances where MPs will choose their loyalties of a, you know, the institution of Parliament rather than party loyalty because, or leadership loyalty, whatever you want to call it, because because they take this so seriously. So, I, I, I think they, I think this is an ill-advised line of attack. Katie, there's also movement, it seems, on solving the cost of living crisis. The Prime Minister today suggested that food tariffs um, might be cut in order to ease that. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so one of the ideas which they're looking into at the moment is this idea of, as you say, um, imported food will be made cheaper to ease the cost of living crisis. That's coming from the Prime Minister. But I think the key detail here is that the products they are looking at, uh, products that Britain does not produce domestically, um, because they don't want to do anything that will hurt farmers and hurt British business. So therefore, it's a fairly limited amount of food this is going to apply to. So for example, oranges, bananas, olives, which you can't do here, rice, other products like this could effectively see price cuts of about 10%. Now, you can say this is a benefit of Brexit, but I think there's also a point which is, well, that's a cut at one point, but does it actually fall through to the consumer? Uh, so you have to see how that would play out in that sense. And then also, I think it's something the government can say it's doing, but I think given it's going to be so limited in the various items, it's not going to solve the cost of living crisis. It could potentially ease parts of your weekly shopping bill. I mean, I think if you really want to make a difference to food prices, you would have to be prepared to, to slash food tariffs even on on food that is produced in the UK in some way you know you know meat and all those things so I, I think there's a there is a limit as Katie said to kind of how effective it will be given this I, I also do I do think though that some of this argument that you should retain these tariffs as their bargaining chips and negotiations I, I, I am kind of skeptical of that people you know, the UK should be more prepared to embrace the benefits of slashing tariffs on on these products this is not going to have a kind of effect akin to the repeal of a corn laws or you know like you know this is this 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 is this is tinkering this is fairly small beer and you'd have to eat an awful lot of olives to, <laughs> for, for this to make a a, a, a proper what about stuff like fuel duty for example like could that is that something that the government could cut i mean one of the problems for the government is the government's already taken 5p off fuel duty but because petrol prices are so high People don't notice it. And that, that I think, is always the problem, which is, in, in political terms, fuel duty cuts work most effectively when the price of fuel is either falling... Right. Yeah. So George Osborne got massive political benefit out of freezing fuel duty in the run-up to the 2015 election because the fuel price was falling anyway. So people, every time people fill up their car with petrol, you know, it cost them less than before. And the Tories claim that the fuel duty freeze was what was saving people money. It wasn't that. It was that the global price of petrol was falling and so i think that there is a kind of a limit to how much some of that can do but i think the kind of i think that these cost of living strategies you know there there is going to be more of this i think it's interesting that the government's newly appointed cost of living czar who you know who was most uh initially got most attraction most, most attention because he had previously called a moratorium set down he appears to be arguing to companies, but they basically they should be prepared to absorb these costs themselves. So they've got a kind of responsibility to do so. And there's also another interesting argument that you hear in government, which is, you know, look, 
There are some people who hope that on food price inflation specifically, that the discount supermarkets, Aldi and Lidl, will be prepared to absorb some of the pain of these price rises and not pass them on to consumers because that's the way they're going to take a substantial amount of market share from the existing supermarket chains. And so I mean, that is, that is something to watch. I think it's going to, the kind of competitiveness of the UK supermarket sector does that mean that some of the, the limits in increases in food prices are, are not passed on. And I, again, I think you can see why. There is obviously a view that it's very unwise for cabinet ministers on their six-figure salaries to start offering people kind of tips on how, you know, we know how badly it went down when ministers said, talk about value brands. There is an interesting question, though, which is which, which you and Katie had me thinking about, which is you're talking about rice as one of these goods where the tariff will be slashed. Rice, is much, rice has not gone up in price in the way that pasta has. So there are actually kind of no one in government, I mean, dares kind of get into kind of offering this kind of advice to people. But, but you know, there are interesting questions about different ways in which, you know, diet would be. And I mean, there's also another thing, which is people in terms of food prices, obviously Ukraine and the, 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 the poor harvest in India have got lots of people worried. But I think there are two things worth noting. One is the Australian harvest looks like being better than expected. And secondly, some of the concerns about the US harvest are easing. So, you know, may, maybe there are some reasons to think that food prices might not go quite as high mm-hmm. as, the, uh, as the apocalyptic increases that Andrew Bailey was talking about a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Well, I can highly recommend rice as your staple of choice. Katie, do you have any opinions on rice before I wrap up? I think for me, rice and pasta is like, picking between two children oh, well. so I'll keep my powder dry on that for now medicine. yeah and Katie speaking of Ukraine there has been a development in Snake Island now Snake Island has been an area of much interest to both sides um, and the Russians took it fairly early on and um, because of its strategic position when it comes to the war but we've had the news now that Russian troops have actually abandoned Snake Island and this comes after Ukraine's armed forces launched a crippling rocket attack on the outpost and I think it's a sign of how actually Western help when it comes to weaponry is having this big effect, which helps the Ukrainian side at times when it has, I think in recent weeks, there has been more pessimism about which way this is going to go. And of course, the government today has announced an extra £1 billion for Ukraine um, to help them with arms. Katie and James, thanks very much. And thank you very much for listening. The Spectator Economic Innovator of the Year Awards, sponsored by Investec, are open for entries. If you are an entrepreneur-led business bringing radical change to its sector, please apply at www.spectator/innovator. We are looking for entries all across the UK, and our closing date is the 4th of July.